Well, good morning, Bethel. It is so good to be with you this morning. And uh, I have had the privilege, I'm pre-recording this, I guess, so I am uh, at this moment have just been down in Kentucky for the last week that you're watching it for a week of class at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I am so thankful to our elders for the privilege of getting to go and work towards some further schooling, learning. It's growing my heart and love for the Lord much, and I, I hope and pray it's been uh, an encouragement. It's been coming out and encouraging you as we seek to serve the Lord together here. And uh, it's exciting because this morning through video, I get to be with uh, our Bethel family that's at home online. Greeting to you from our homes, our Bethel family that is there in Southwest at the Ag Hall in Glencoe. Good morning, Bethel Southwest. And then also our brothers and sisters, our uh, family at Bethel Strathroy in the auditorium. And so I'm really looking forward to diving into God's word as we continue our teaching series in Romans. Let's, let's bow our hearts and our heads together in prayer in preparation as we come to God's holy word. Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we come to your word, Father, we want to hear from you. We want to and we need to meet with you. And so would you lead and guide our time? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of your word? And may you apply it to our lives. You know exactly what each and every one of us need to hear in all the different spots we get to be right now as a Bethel Church family. As we come to your word, we are eager to hear from you. Speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have you ever found yourself in the spot where you feel like there is this battle raging inside of you? Like there is this this turmoil in your inner being, this urge to, I don't know, like get another drink and you, you know you shouldn't, but it's just like, oh, I just want to go and have another. This desire to get into the word, but finding yourself constantly distracted and pulled away by all the different things and all the different activities and just lethargic in the practice of your faith. The battle of within of angst and worry and fear that just feels like a cloud over top of everything you do that you just cannot shake out from underneath. Or is it a wrestling with, you know, that sense of bitterness because of what that person did? You know the person I'm talking about. And how they wounded you so deeply and you wrestle inside with this, I know I should forgive, but I just or those moments where you want so badly to pray and to exercise faith and to trust God, but you grab back control and you go your own way and you keep clinging to what you can do. The sense of angst because you, you just keep snapping with your words and lashing out at these ones that are supposed to be your loved ones. And as soon as you say it, you regret it, but yet it just keeps happening. Or is it a struggle to shove down those thoughts that are, are so enticing to click on that thing on your computer or 
eat another bite of that food to just numb away the pain and distract or to send a text to that person that you know you shouldn't text and you shouldn't reach out to again, but the urge is just... Have you ever found yourself wrestling, stirring, struggling with this sense of inner turmoil, this war raging inside of you? Today, I've titled our sermon, The Inner Battle. The inner battle. As followers of Jesus, there is an inner war that goes on inside of every single one of us. A war that, that maybe we don't talk about enough, but a war that every single one of us know and wrestle through every single day. In fact, here's how I've titled the big idea that we're going to see come out of God's Word today. It's this, every day... Inside every believer, the spirit and the sinful nature are at war. For some right now, frankly, that war just feels so confusing. I mean, I thought when I follow after Jesus, it was going to be smooth and easy and peaceful and fulfilling. And yet all I feel inside is this inner wrestling and struggle this war and this battle, this, these urges that I just keep trying to suppress and push aside. And what's going on? Or, or maybe you, you knew that it was going to have some challenging times. I mean, it's not all going to be, you know, roses and butterflies. But, but you, you, you're like, man, I thought by now I would be beyond this. I mean, I know there was going to be some some hardships. I know there was going to be some struggles. I know I was going to have to work through some stuff. But, but I've been walking with Jesus now for, and I've been working and I've been praying and praying and praying and I've been trying and striving and doing all of these different things. And why am I still struggling with this so much? Why isn't it gone by now? Or for others, maybe today you find yourself when it comes to this struggle you are like one step from going over the edge. You are on the cusp or, or maybe you've already started down the path of just saying, you know what? The fighting is too hard. The, the suppressing and pushing back in the struggle, the going upstream, it's just too much. The noise is just too loud. And I just feel like it would be easier to just give in. I feel like it would just be easier to just indulge, to stop trying to resist. And, and maybe you find yourself where you're right at the cusp where you've even already started to just be like, you know what? You know what? I'll just, it's easier to just go for it. Today, friends, God's word speaks into the inner battle that we all walk through. And it's going to give clarity, and it's going to give strength, and it's going to give hope to each and every one of us. So grab your Bible out and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Verse 1 begins and says this, 
Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, do you not know that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? Paul says, I, I want to talk to you about the law. This is not the you know, judicial law of our modern day or our modern country. This is shorthand when Paul, as we've seen in previous weeks, when he talks about the law, he's referring to the Old Testament, the, the first half of our Bibles. And, and what we see, first of all, here's the first big point. If you're taking notes, here's the first big point. Jesus died to release you and I from the law. Jesus died to release you and I from the law. See, the law binds us. It's like a rope tied around your ankles. Have you ever tried to run if, we, if your ankles are tied together? What's going to happen to you? It's a, it, you're going to fall flat on your face, right? It, the, the law is like a backpack that is strapped to your back and filled with a thousand pounds of brick. And you try to stand up and you try to get up from there, but it is just crushing you. Let me, let me give you an example of this. I mean, we could pick like a thousand different verses, right? But let me pick out the one that in a couple minutes here we see Paul points to. It says, do not covet. This is a verse from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Here's, here's the verse in its whole. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So God, God's law says to us, do, do not burn, do not crave, do not long after the things that the people around you have, whether that's their, their stuff, their job, their house, their kids, their looks, their clothes, their spouse, their marriage, their car, their whatever. Don't long and crave after that. When God says that, what he is saying is, I want to tell you about the good life. I, I want to tell you about the good life. God wants our best, and he, and he knows what's best because after all, he created us. He created everything. So he knows what the best way, the best life, the good life is. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you how life flourishes. I'm going to tell you how to experience life to its fullest. He, here's one of the parts to it. Don't covet. One of the, one of the parts to a flourishing life is, is do not covet. Now, how does that law bind us? How, how is that a, a rope around our ankles that keeps tripping us up? How is that a backpack upon our shoulders that is so heavy it just crushes us? Well, two things happen with the law of God. First, first, if, if I tell you right now, I look you right in the eye, can look at me in the eyes, Look in the eyes and listen very carefully to what I am about to tell you because it's, it's really important, okay? I need to tell you something and you need to listen so carefully to me. Here, here, listen. You look into me in the eyes, look me in the eyes. What you need to do right now is do not look at that wall on the left. 
That wall on the left, do not turn your eyes and look over there and to see what is on that wall. Listen, listen to me, do not. And, and as I say that, what is the very first urge inside of you when I tell you, look at me, do listen to me, do not look at that wall to the left. What's the very first thing you want to do? Inside of you, everything wants to look at the wall to the left, right? In the same way, our sinful nature inside of us. When God says, the good life is, do not covet. What's the very first thing we are prone to do? We're prone to covet. And so the law becomes a rope around our ankles, a, a weight upon our backs, because we are guilty of breaking it. When, when the law is held out in front of us and God says, here is the way to live, do this or don't do this, and then we do the opposite, it now stands as a weight upon our back, a rope around our ankles, because we have broken the law. We have not listened. We have been disobedient. Here's the second thing the law does. The law is like a map. It's like a map of God telling us the direction of how the good life is to be lived. Imagine Natalie and I, my wife, were to go for a hike through Algonquin. And we start going for this, you know, rather extended hike. And, and it becomes quite clear fairly quickly that we've taken a wrong turn. At least it's clear to my wife. And she's just say, Alan, I think we made a wrong turn. And I, I'm a guy, so I am like, what? I'm like, no, 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 we didn't make a wrong turn. We're just going to keep going, honey. And she's like, no, I think we did. Maybe we should look at the GPS. And I'm like, no, no, I don't need to go look at the GPS. I know where I'm going. And so we keep trucking in, trucking in, trucking further and further and further down this path that is going further and further off course until finally like two or three hours later, it becomes clear enough to me and I get my nose rubbed in my mistake enough that I finally acknowledge, I think we're maybe lost a little bit. And at that point, I say, okay, let's look at, the GPS map, and it turns out we've gone so far off course that we are now 10 kilometers away from where we are supposed to be, and the GPS now shows us how far off we are from the course. That's what God's Word does. God's Word is like a map that exposes us to see how far awry we have gone, how far off the track we have gone, how far lost, and, and we are so far off, so lost, so hopeless, so helpless, that we cannot get back to the spot. God's law is like a map. He says, do not covet, and it shows us how far off of the track of that right path we are. This is the weight that is upon our backs. This is the rope that is around our ankles. And Jesus died to release us from the law, to release you, to release me from the rope that is tied around our ankles that we can't get undone, to release us from the backpack that is upon our backs that is crushing us. And Paul uses this illustration. He says in verse 2, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law 
and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. You, you know the classic wedding vow statement, right? I, I take you to be my wife, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. See, the, the marriage covenant, the marriage commitment before God is a commitment that lasts through our entire life until death do we part. And when a husband or wife dies, that marriage commitment is now over. And it's just like that, Paul says, with the law of God. The old rules from the Old Testament that God gave to us, to the world, have bound us. We've broken them. It showed us how we have broken them, and it showed us how far off track we are. And those two things are this massive bondage upon us. We are bound till death do we part. And Jesus came and died to release us. That's what verse 4 says. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who raised, was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you've died. Your, your faith in Jesus, your commitment to Jesus means that with Jesus' death, you died You are united with him in that, and the old law, the old rules, are no longer around your ankles and upon your back, tripping you up and crushing you down because you've died and you are now released. Verse 6, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So then Paul asks a question. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? He's asking, like, does that mean that the law is bad? I mean, the law was a, a bound around our legs. The law was a weight upon our backs. It was crushing us. We couldn't get out from under it. The law was what led to Jesus having to die. The law was, was all of these things, and, and now the law has been released, and we've finally gotten away from it. Does that mean the law is a bad thing? Does that mean the law is actually, like, sin? Certainly not, verse 7 continues. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. No, 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 not at all is the law bad. Not at all is the law sin. The law is not the problem. Those two things the law does are good. My sinful heart, your sinful heart, our sinful hearts, that's the problem. As he says in verse 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. It was our sin that twisted God's law, and it's our sin that led us to death. We must understand the 
purpose of the law, what its purpose is and what its purpose is not. The law did not send us off course. The map didn't send me off course. I did that myself. The map, the law, was never given to rescue people who are off course, who've gone awry. That was never the point. The law was given to tell us what the good life is and to show us how far awry we've gone. To tell us what the good life is and to show us that we have fallen short. And that's the weight it leaves us under. And the glorious good news of Jesus Christ is that he went to the cross and was victorious to release us from the law. That's what he did on the cross when he died, to release us from the law. And then here's our next point. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's our second point. Jesus has won, but battles are still raging. Jesus has won, but there are battles which are still raging. I wonder how many of you would know, would recognize this name or this picture of Hiro Onoda. Onoda was a, a Japanese soldier in World War II. And, and the, the Japanese nation surrendered and acknowledged their uh, defeat to the Allies in August of 1945. Okay, August of 1945, Japan was defeated in World War II. But Onoda at that point, was on the Philippines. And, and when the announcement went out to all of the different, you know, troop regiments, Onada didn't get the message. In, in fact, he was holed up in the mountains, up in the Philippines, and, and he, he did not hear that the victory had been given by the Allies and the Japanese had acknowledged defeat. And so he stowed himself away up in the mountains in the Philippines and, and would just come down and launch these little like personal guerrilla attacks into the villages and villagers on the villagers of the Philippines. He, he stowed away in the mountains in the Philippines for 29 years. They tried to drop leaflets on the area where he was, but he just thought they were all lies. He didn't believe it. They were trying to trick him for 29 years. Years, Onada kept waging these battles, even though the war had been won. This is the same thing that is happening in each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus. Jesus has won victory through the cross. The war has been won. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united with him in that victory. We are on the winning team. We have victory. Jesus' victory is definitive. We have died. We are set free. But there are these holdouts. There are these holdouts that continue to, to come down from the mountains and wage these little guerrilla attacks. The holdout is our sinful nature our sinful nature. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. That word that we see translated there, unspiritual, 
depending on the Bible translation you have, you might also see it as in the flesh. This is a word that's going to get repeated a bunch in the rest of this chapter and into chapter 8. It's our sinful nature. We have a bent on this side of heaven to go back to our sin. We are like a spring. You grab a spring and you try and pull it apart and you open it all the way up like this. And as soon as you let it go, it just immediately wants to retort back to its its original way. We have this bent where we, we are being stretched out by the Spirit of God, but our sinful nature just wants to keep going back. See, every day inside every believer, the Spirit and the sinful nature are at war. Listen to how Paul, the Apostle Paul, describes this. He says, beginning in verse 15, I, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Have have you ever felt this wrestling before? Paul here, he, he powerfully and profoundly describes this inner battle that he and every single Christian go through, the inner war with sin that lives in us. We have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature that we are bent back to. We are unspiritual is the language verse uh, 14 uses. We have flesh. We are flesh. Verse 17, then again in verse 20, it says, there is sin living in me. Verse 18 talks about my sinful nature. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. I have desires, but I do the opposite. Jesus died to release me from the bondage of the law, and yet I go back and do these things. He has absolutely died to set us free. He died on the cross, and when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united with him in his death, and we are set free. We are forgiven entirely. We receive his spirit within us, and yet... There's this inner battle that goes on inside of us. Why do I find my faith is so lethargic so often? Why do I have these feelings of bitterness that I just can't let go of? Why do I desperately try to cling to control rather than surrendering in faith? Why do I still have this struggle with with lust and anger and gluttony and pride and gossip and deceit? 
Why do these words come out of my mouth that are so vile and I regret them as soon as I speak them? Why am I so prone to fear instead of faith? Why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do? What is going on inside of me? Paul says, it's sin living in me. Verse 21 continues, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Oh, thanks. Be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There are some here today who are watching right now, feeling the war raging inside of you. And you've got this question like, why am I still having to fight so much? Why am I still having to struggle and wrestle so much? I thought I've given my life to Jesus. Have I really given my life to Jesus if I'm still having to deal with this battle? I thought I, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and why is this not gone? I've tried and I've tried this and that and it's still here. The struggle is still binding me. Why have I not gotten over this? What's wrong with me? There are others who you hear this struggle, this war, and you're like, yeah, I know that all too well. And the noise has just been too loud in my ears. The temptation has been too strong. I tried to resist. I'm trying to resist, but I just want it to just finally be quiet. And maybe just the easier way to get through this is just to say, you know what? Okay. And give in. Maybe you've even already started to give in. You've stopped trying to fight because it's just been too hard. You stopped trying to resist. You stopped trying to walk upstream. It's just too much. Dear friends, as we consider this inner battle, I want to share from what I think comes out of our text four words of clarity and strength and encouragement for you. Four words that I hope are of hope to you today in the midst of the inner battle. Can I share them with you? Here, here's the first one. The struggle is strangely encouraging. The struggle is strangely encouraging. I, I know how discouraging the wrestling inside can be. Trust me. I know how, how discouraging and disheartening it can be to pray and pray and pray and try all of these different things to figure out ways to get out from under this struggle and then it just keeps coming back and you just keep stumbling. You just keep dealing with these thoughts and struggling through these feelings. I, I get it, but can I, can I suggest that the struggle you are going through is actually a real opportunity for encouragement 
See, do you know why? Do you know why? Because if you are saying, man, I, I so badly delight in God, but I keep doing these other things. I so badly want to follow Jesus. I so badly want to listen to Jesus' words. I so badly want to go the path that Jesus calls, but I keep going these other directions. Do you know what that struggle inside of you is indicating? It's that God's actually at work in your life, friend. The fact that you are struggling like that. See, see, the world around us doesn't think that way. The world around us just indulges in the sin. It's just like, like lavishing and lapping up all of that sin. The fact that you are like, man, I just want to follow after Jesus. I just want to delight in this way. I just want to, but I'm finding such a struggle. As hard and discouraging as that is, that actually is a profound encouragement because it means God is working in your life, friend. So the struggle is strangely encouraging. Here's the second thing I would say as a word of hope. You are bent, but you are not bound. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, you've trusted him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, given your life to him as your Savior and Lord, yeah, you are still bent back to that old sinful nature. So am I. But Jesus has come and we are no longer bound to sin. See, before we come to know Jesus, there's nothing we can do except sin. Our hearts are dead and we do everything to sin and that's the only way we can go. We can't make ourselves right. We can't please God. But when Jesus came, what he did is he has now set you free so that you and I can actually live for Jesus. We don't have to sin. I know our bent keeps going back that way, but he has set us free and he's given us his spirit inside who gives us the power to start to live in obedience. You might be bent, but you are not bound to sin any longer, friend. If you are in Christ, be encouraged. Here's a third thought. Transformation is happening, even if it's slow. In the moment, the battle feels thick. I know. In the moment, the clouds feel really difficult to get through. We resonate with Paul when he says, what a wretched man am I when we are in the midst of the turmoil. And it can feel like, man, am I making any progress? But here's what I want you to know. The Spirit of God living in you, if you've given your life to Jesus, He began a good work and He's going to fulfill it. He is moving and working. And dear friend, although there are struggles that are still going on, you are not, by the grace of God, the same man or woman you were five years ago. God's been bringing you forward. And even though it may be slow, transformation is happening, friend. And in five years from now, you are not going to be the same man or woman that you are. And one day, one day, Jesus is going to make you entirely new with a resurrected body and all the sin is going to be gone. But on this side of glory, know that if you're in Christ, it may be slow, but take heart transformation is happening. And here's a final word of hope. Friend, Christ 
is better. Christ is better. The enemy wants to convince you that the way away from Christ is better. The enemy wants to chirp in your ear and tell you it'll just be easier if you give in. Just indulge. The world around us wants to tell us the better life is our own path, our rebellion, turning our backs upon God. But can I urge you and plead with you that Jesus is better. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Jesus is, is more rewarding. He is more sweet. He is more trustworthy. He is more worthy. He is more beautiful. He is more satisfying than anything this world will ever offer to you. Jesus is the one whom your soul is made for, your heart longs for. He is the only one who will fill you up. Jesus, friend, is better. In the midst of the battle today, Know, dear friend, that Jesus is worth fighting for. And so I want to finish off by giving you an invitation, an opportunity. Because if you find yourself in the midst of the battle, and I mean, I think we all do, maybe it's raging big time. Maybe it's not huge right now, but Wherever you find yourself in that journey of the inner wrestling and battling between the spirit and our sinful nature, we would love to get to pray with and for you because you're not made to go this path alone. You're not made to fight this fight alone. God is intended to give you people around you, trusted brothers and sisters, to pray with you, to pray for you, to lift you up and bring you to the hands of Jesus. And so in the next few minutes, if you're with us in one of our in-person services, there's going to be somebody live that's going to get up and give you specific instructions on how we've got a team of folks that are there to pray. If you're watching online right now, or maybe you're just not feeling comfortable and ready to get up from your seat and go somewhere to ask somebody to pray, but you can right now on the screen, there's a number there and you can text us. Or maybe just jot that phone number down and a little bit later today you can text us. That goes right into the leaders of our church and we would be delighted and honored in the next couple of days here to follow up with you. We will follow up personally, privately, directly with you and have a chance to just come alongside and pray. Because there is a battle that every single one of us go through, but we don't need to go through it alone. There is hope. Just because the battle is going on, do not lose heart. Jesus is worthy, and he's given you the gift of brothers and sisters around you who want to come alongside and bear this burden with you.